This is the AV Podcast Games Edition. Hello and welcome to the AV Podcast Gaming Edition for the month of August. I am Steve Hill, your host, and joining me this month, as always, is Mark Botright. Hello, Mark. Hi, Steve. And we also welcome back Steve Carter. Hello, Steve. Good evening. Myself and the guys will be discussing all the news and gossip that's caught our attention this month. And as the world is gripped by Olympic fever, we'll be discussing the possibility of pro gamers ever being viewed on the same level as pro athletes. So let's jump straight into the news. Daisy is officially a thing. Bohemia have given it the green light and Dean Hall, the original mod creator, is, uh, has been given the, the go-ahead to, to lead the whole project. Mark, Steve, you played the game much? I, I haven't actually. I haven't yet, simply because... Um, you know, I'm, I'm basically waiting to see what happens with the standalone. Then I'll I'll jump in with both feet. Steve, you're you're not much of a PC gamer either, so I guess you you've not had a chance to check it out. Have you seen any YouTube videos at all? I've I've seen a few, and it looks it looks pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting to see if you obviously with it being a standalone. Hopefully, it might come to console. It's unlikely, but hopefully, it'll come towards console gamers soon. It's that whole MMO thing. It just kind of doesn't really work on a on a mm. console, does it? So it's most likely to be a PC title. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's it's great that Bohemia have uh, given it to to Mr. Hall to uh, to run with. Normally, something like this, you can kind of see someone if they're going to commit lots of money to it, maybe give it to someone of a bit more experience and um, maybe take the projects away from the original creator. But if he's going to be given license to run with it, good on him. Yeah, definitely. He. He knows it, you know. It's 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 basically his vision, and I think, uh, you know, we'll probably see a lot of imitators and the like. And um, the big question now is whether it, it hits the market and whether they can kind of stay ahead of the curve in that respect. But keeping it with the with the originator of the idea and, and letting him push things forwards, because there's bound to be things that he just couldn't fit in. There's bound to be things that if he had the funding, if he had you know, more people around to to push things forward to help with the project that he would have wanted to in that game. So I'm just really excited to see what else there might be in the standalone. I, th- I suppose the the exciting thing is that because it's already out there, that there's a ton of feedback from the community and from the gamers that play the game, and they can let him know what they want from it and give him ideas, and it can kind of grow quite organically and evolve. Um, from a long way from what he originally conceived. So, in theory, it should be a much bigger and better project for it. In theory, it seems almost uh, kind of endless. It's in that kind of uh, um, Team Fortress 2 kind of mould of something that could just continue to snowball. If it's handled correctly, you know, there's, there's almost limitless possibilities there for, certainly for for fans to continue with with creating things with mods if they can integrate that you know well and they can you know the content will virtually make itself you know i, I think it's it's something that definitely has legs and yeah is, isn't that the whole point of, of some kind of a, a zombie armageddon that really it's not something that you actually want to end you want it to to continue you want something that you can drop into and, and come back out of and you want it to be feel like this world that is continuing you know it can't it can't have an end yeah definitely and i, I suppose you know there, there could be hints of kind of the whole minecraft idea you know you've got a world which you're going back into every every time you play and you're developing it and you're you're getting supplies and you're 
you're meeting f- new friends and you know building communities within the game that uh, are all fighting for this common interest which is survival and i suppose you can make yourself a little a corner of the map which is kind of your stronghold and and every every time you log on you're going out and trying to find more supplies or recruit more survivors it's a, it's a really interesting concept and they're only really limited by their imagination and i guess what whatever budget as well bohemia have uh, thrown the project um this is one we'll be keeping a close eye on and we'll keep you all updated uh, steam have been um in the news uh, this past month uh, mark do you want to give us the inside track on it uh, yeah, it's basically um, some people were getting a bit hot under the collar about an amendment to the user agreement that they're asking people to sign up for, basically um, to so that users can't um, create class action suits, that they have to be, it has to be individual arbitration. Um, it, it sounded like a possibly draconian measure. It, it had a lot of people a little bit paranoid that, you know, this was the way that that these online services were going, where you know they can shift the goalposts on you, and all of a sudden, uh, a product that you know we still feel regarding digital distribution that we've paid for that should be ours. Ultimately, someone is simply um, kind of allowing us access to that. You know, that's still a, a digital property that, that's largely held somewhere else. You know, someone is basically just saying we will let you use this for X amount of time, so long as you sign up to you know x y and z agreements but when you look into it a little bit further it, it just seems like smart business practice i mean they're, they're just trying to s- steer clear of the kind of mad litigation that could end up just totally spoiling the service yeah i think there's been a little bit of a a kind of knee-jerk reaction from um, gamers and the, the sort of online community that you know this is the the man and they're typically um you know taking liberties as per usual but really you know the bottom line is that this is for all the right reasons basically as you, as you move forward you know we all know that you know there have been certain kind of spurious litigations that that, that have just come out of left field and, and the big companies tend to settle i mean it, it all seems to originate back to to what happened with ea and and questions about how they were using the NFL license and that kind of thing and ultimately they settled um, and really Steam just seemed like it seems like Valve don't want the service to be derailed they don't want to in fact by by putting this in now it, it means they don't have to shift the goalposts even further later on when they realize that in fact it's become a massive problem you know you can't leave that door open you know I think they said it would end up costing time and money and and ultimately delays will bring about a far worse service Uh, but it it is interesting about what they've said about how valve will pay for um, the arbitration costs for individuals have you heard about this yeah i mean you know uh, another kind of um uh plus point for them really i mean what what what, uh, a great thing to offer and i suppose when you're almost in a way demanding that people agree to this um, change of condition otherwise you're locked out of your catalogue you kind of have to have something like that in there to say look guys you know we're doing it for the right reasons and in this instance should it come down to you versus us well even you know cover the cost I, I think that's um, a, a smart move by them yeah I mean and ultimately they're not doing anything different you know 
with regards windows the latest windows and ea origin service you know it's everything's ultimately going to go down that same road because you just you can't leave that door open to to a massive class action suit no of course and you know i suppose the idea of uh, losing your games is pretty horrendous to to any gamer um, and there's always a chance that someone like steam or whoever could could go down and and you'd lose that catalog forever anyway um, I suppose the good thing is that these services are evolving and uh, changing over time and, and protecting themselves against kind of the silly conditions that seem to be around at the moment. Yeah, I mean, and and, and Steam is always evolving. I mean, we've just had the news about them. You know, they're going to be setting up to offer non-gaming software, you know, come September. So- what do we think about that uh, while we're on the subject? I mean, is, is that a, a, a smart move by them or is that just a bit... I, yeah, I think it's I think it's a pretty smart move because if you've ultimately you know desktop space is pretty limited for everyone. You know, you you have a certain amount of icons on your desktop that you tend to go back to those programs. I can't be the only person who's got stuff installed on a PC or a Mac that I just you know you completely forget about it unless it's on your desktop. Steam is something that it's become kind of integral to gamers it's you've got the icon there all the time you know you're always clicking on it you're always using the service anyway offer something else offer something extra you know if if i could get software through them i I definitely would do it's a funny one because uh gabe newell of of valve was very vocal about his feelings of uh of windows 8 and what it meant for for gamers i think he called it a catastrophe and i think it's partly his kind of foresight into the future and these walled gardens that Apple and Microsoft are trying to create where, you know, the end user really is kind of tied into their services and can only get software and games directly through them. You know, the whole beauty of um, computing up until now is it's been completely open source. If I want an app, I'll go and get it and install it on my computer. Yes, the liability will be to me if it's something malicious, but the point is that I can do that. And it seems strange that Valve's solution for that is to kind of do the same thing themselves. Isn't that what they're doing with the, this whole move to Linux? Uh, I, I don't know if it is. I think it, it's it's one of those really odd situations where it's it's like the small guy looking up at the big corporation and saying, you know, we're never going to be like that. And then ultimately, if, if you want to change things, you're going to have to fight on, on similar terms. And when everyone else is going down the... The route of monopolizing things. You, it, it's better to build some kind of a community that has everything under one roof to try and offer multiple services. And ultimately, I think w- when they do that, it'll highlight just how constrictive you know the other services out there are. Yeah, I mean, you know, having another option is always a great thing. So. I, I'm not. I'm not saying you know Valve are, are just as bad as the other, or I'm not saying that they're necessarily uh, being brilliant for being you know having this initiative to kind of have give us this other option. It just seems that it's an, an inevitable place where we're going to. Apple wants to to do their walled garden. Microsoft are following suit, and Windows 8 will be here in a few months, and that's kind of a step down that path. And if Valve end up building this this. Um, their own platform, if you like, based on Linux, where you can get games and apps, then you've, you've kind of got three contenders in that marketplace. Interesting. And uh, as things develop, we'll, of course, keep you informed. 
uh, while we're on the subject of open source and giving the end user options, uh, the Oya project has uh, managed to sensationally achieve its funding targets on Kickstarter and uh, is definitely going to be arriving in the near future. Um, Mark, have you got the uh, the info on this one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 quite a success story at a time when you know we all tend to think that video games is is the domain of these mammoth conglomerate, you know, mainly Japanese, you know, technological giants that basically here you've got a group asking for $950,000 and then by the end of uh, the pledge um, with Kickstarter, they end up with $8.5 million. And it sounds like very... You know, it, it sounds like an interesting prospect. Open source, Android-based, size of a Rubik's cube. You know, this tiny little console hopefully should be out for about ninety-nine dollars. And what uh, sort of games can we expect to see on uh, a, on a platform like that, based on Android and and costing as little as it does? Well, that that's that's the big thing. That's that's the kicker ultimately, isn't it? With with any kind of uh, any kind of new console, you can pour over the tech specs as much as you want and, and look at how it's it's based and the architecture of it but ultimately if it doesn't have the games then it's not going to be a success but the hope is being open source it will you know allow for mods and homebrew and that kind of thing but um, Android based uh, kind of I think it's it's derived the, the chipset from Nvidia derived from kind of smartphone technology so it's very much leading people to think well is it just going to be kind of smartphone type light games you know people to play angry birds derivatives and that kind of thing you know kind of cheap knockoffs like those kind of uh, you know phony chinese imports you know super wary in brothers or something you know mad yeah. stuff like that you know where they just turn a couple of letters backwards or something but they are getting back in. I mean, Namco, Bandai, Square Enix said they'll support it. Um, you're going to get Final Fantasy 3 on it, which I think is the first time we've got that on a on a UK console. So, yeah. All of those guys are just mad keen to have their, their games out there. I suppose they don't really care what the platform is as long as they're selling copies. Yeah, and it's also um, should be able to use it for on live as well. Because I don't know how many consoles or, or, you know, I don't know what you call the thing that you play it through, um, but how many units they shifted. But anything that that can play, uh, use the online service, they're going to be pleased about. Um, XBMC, Media Player as well. So it could turn out to be quite a quite a handy little extra box to have under your TV. What's the time scale now? Hopefully um, March next year could be out for. Interesting. Well, as soon as uh, we hear any more news, we'll of course keep you updated and maybe even bring you a review. Uh, the new Black Ops multiplayer trailer was released this week. Steve, did you catch the trailer? Yeah, I've seen I've seen bits of it. You know, it's it's kind of getting a bit repetitive now. It's the usual Call of Duty fair and showpiece. You know, it's it's you know it's the trying to boast that it's you know it's a new turn for the Call of Duty series. But I think you know it's just pretty much going to be what Modern Warfare was, but with a bit of you know Treyarch's own sort of spin on it it's you know it's it offers it looks like it's got a few new interesting bits on it you know the the new technology the future technology yeah it looks quite sci-fi yeah but, sci-fi is for the uh... <laughs> yeah <laughs> the pedantic out there um but yeah i mean it's it, it looks interesting i mean you know it's i'm obviously going to buy it and everyone's going to buy it just because it's a call of duty game and it's going to sell you know millions again like it does every november but it's just getting to that point now where 
the future genre's getting a bit, you know, it's getting a bit worn out already. You know, we've seen three modern warfares now and Medal of Honor and Ghost Recon, they're all, you know, jumping on the bandwagon. So I think it's, you know, it's kind of going into territory that's getting a bit old and, you know, I think this will be the last sort of future warfare Call of Duty that we can expect to see because it's just getting a bit bland now, I think. Well, if they keep releasing them, then unfortunately we'll have to keep talking about them. But uh... It was interesting, though, how they released the multiplayer trailer. I mean, it wasn't sent out with huge fanfares, which seems seems odd. You know, this is this was a big one at E3. You know, this was a, a major title. This is going to be absolutely massive. And yet you've got the main part of the game, which is going to be the multiplayer. And the, and the trailer just seemed to just land one day. And it was, you know, it was just there. There was no great push behind it. There was no you know, massive thing that was going on with it. I mean, I know they're saying that multiplayer, you'll be able to play it at Gamescom and they're going to put up live streams to it. So perhaps we'll see a bit more there. But I genuinely watched the the multiplayer trailer expecting to see that big wow moment. I mean, they've, they've cut it together pretty well and there are a couple of decent moments in there. You know, certainly... Um, Know, when the axe gets embedded in some guy's head and the you know the occasional kind of leap from a character so it switches to the third person but it you know it, it didn't feel that cinematic like they were going for that and it also didn't feel that frenetic or anything i mean they've gone for a future setting but it's it's just handily enough far enough in the future that they can get away with a few you know mechs and drones and that kind of thing and a couple of maybe they'll chuck in a few different types of grenades or something but there's not really anything there. It, it still looks well. It's Call of Duty with a different well, skin. Yeah, you know what? I, I, maybe I was being a, uh, a bit unkind to it earlier. I mean, I watched it and I kind of it did pique a little bit of interest in me. And if it, if it comes out and I decide I want it, I, I think I will end up buying an Xbox again just to play it because that's the kind of game that I want to be social with, and that's the kind of game where I want to uh, reconnect with a lot of old buddies that I've got that are still on Xbox Live. So. Um, just looking here, it looks like Zombies has been improved from four players up to eight players and also 4v4 and also female players for those of you that like to um, cross-dress in your video games. And I've got to say that the little bit with like um, what looked like the mech did look quite interesting as well. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that they go down that route a bit. I did see the mech, yeah. It's kind of, mech seemed to be the, 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 the thing of the uh, the last part of this year as well. So we could be sick of mechs come, uh, come December. But, you know, it's it's something different and something a little bit interesting. Yeah, it's just got to be careful, you know, like the Modern Warfare 2 perks and the kill street rewards. It's got to be careful that it's not a bit overpowered and yeah it just all seems like you know a bit too much to to keep track of you know i've sat a year out of uh, call of duty now yeah. so i don't want to go back in feeling like i i need a degree in it to be able to manage all the perks and um <laughs> i'm already at a disadvantage enough anyway so but isn't i mean that that's something where i do think there's something like say smart glass could be used for you know, oh, tablets yeah. and, and apps and that kind of thing. You know, keep... in, in what in, in what respect? Uh, you've intrigued me now. Tell me more. You're okay. calling airstrikes, can't you? And... Yeah, if if they could integrate it like that, if you could have, you know, oh, wow, your tablet up or something like that, and, and keep track of all your perks, and then yeah, you had your little map there, and you could call up the airstrikes at any minute like that. I think that would be brilliant. Then you'd really just need to play in camouflage, and you would be at Shit. one with the game. <laughs> Wear your ghillie suit and. I want to see a bit of humour injected into these games. If you know, if I'm out of ammo, I want to be able to rip my boot from my foot and beat someone to death with it. 
moving on, guys, uh, you've been reviewing for us this month. Uh, the big release, the big hardware release has been the 3DS XL. You've both jumped on board. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I, I don't know. Did you have a 3DS already, Steve? I've, I've got the original one. I, I toyed with the idea of getting the XL. I mean, I trialled it in the shop, but with the cost, I've, I went down the, the original, but I've, I've had a good go with it, and it's... It's it's a good console, you know. It's they added to you know screen size and the. How how much bigger are we talking? It's like ninety percent bigger, and it? it's is it a good like inch bigger? Is it? I think inch and a half. Yeah, I think it's about that. I'd have to double check it. They say ninety percent, but that's in kind of you know like total. You know, if it it, let's face it, it feels absolutely massive. It's it 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 looks huge. The top screen. Um, it's certainly gone beyond the idea of a pocket-sized console anymore. Um, but as someone, I mean, I traded in a, a DSi XL when I first picked up the, the 3DS, and I kicked myself ever since because I, I just found the, the the screens on the normal size 3DS. I just found them too small. Um, but one of the funny actually, one of the funny things is, is that the larger screen I don't actually think helps 3DS titles at all. You know the native 3DS titles. I actually think that it shows up things like the aliasing, just that bit more. Whereas, it, so it's letting down the tech. You're saying? Yeah, I, th- I think it just shows it up just that little bit more. Whereas I think it it was hidden. It, I think the the 3DS's natural screen size was perhaps perfect for what it was, without putting in any kind of you know softening of edges or the like, which probably wouldn't have gone in with the way in which it implements its 3D. But I mean, the, the big kicker. I mean, it's the bigger screen size is great and all that kind of thing. But I think what most people probably who have jumped for it and the, would be the people who have perhaps upgraded, um, who loved the 3DS but just wanted the extra battery life because the original's battery life, you know, it was reasonable. But certainly, from what we've come to expect from handheld consoles, and certainly if you've got used to say gaming on a smartphone or anything, it, you know, it was pretty poor. Such a predictable thing to do, isn't it? Release this this XL at this stage in the in the product's life cycle. It's just, uh, am, am I being cynical? Is you know why you know why couldn't Nintendo have just given us this first time round? I think it'll have been to test water first time, won't it? Like everything, I think they'll, they'll release the 3DS and then obviously since I mean you can say it's a success, but only in the last couple of months, of like last month, I've only just started making a profit on the actual console because it didn't, you know, it didn't sell well enough and the manufacturing costs were too high. But I think. You know, with anything, I think, like Sony, I think with the PSV, are they going to do the same? I think they're going to, you know, reduce it eventually. I mean, it's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, the, one of the big things was everyone assumed they might put in the second analog stick, you know, that the Circle Pad Pro gives the 3DS, that perhaps that was a design flaw. A lot of gamers were calling out for the second analog stick, which just seems, you know, it's the standard now. You know, it, it seems mad to have anything that doesn't have two analog sticks. But you know they've they've stuck by the original design and they've they've kept the basic layout of it in in practically every in every way they've just made it larger they've given you the better battery life it, it feels a little bit sturdier and the, um, um, it seems to last a lot longer certainly in standby as well. So you you, you guys been playing any games on it this month? Um, well, I reviewed uh, well I've done a couple I I did um, Mensa Academy. So testing my little grey cells there, but also um, K- 
Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. Now, I know Stee also picked this up, and Stee's, I know, a big fan of the series in general, so perhaps he's he's better placed to, to kind of extol the virtues of this one, because it, it is a bit of a corker. Well, Kingdom Hearts, you know, Kingdom Hearts came out on PS2 10 years ago, you know, a long time ago, um, you know, especially if you're my age anyway, it's when I was little. Um, it's, you know, it was a blend of RPG, kind of crossed Disney and Final Fantasy, which people didn't actually think would work, but it actually proved that, yeah, it, you know, it, it was hugely successful. Um, you know, it sold quite a few copies. There was a second title which carried on the story. Um, we're still waiting for the elusive third title to finish the trilogy off, uh, along with the HD remakes, which have to happen at some point. Um, and there have been a few spin-offs, you know, on the PSP. There's been a couple of DS games and mobile games, but personally, I think this is, you know, the the best, you know, follow-up game that we've had, you know, since since the uh, second title on PS2. Um, I mean, I've I've been playing it for quite a few hours. I ain't, I haven't really been been able to put it down because it's just taken it's taken me back to the the first game because it it carries on from from the second game with. Uh, Sora and Riku taking the uh, the Keyblade exams. You know, it's not a hardcore RPG. It's not to the extent of Final Fantasy, but it's got you know a, a more simple version of it. But even so, it's you know you can spend out you know there's you know synthesis. You can make items, collect Keyblades, weapons, armor items. You know, there's there's still plenty to do even even for you know the you know the biggest fan of the RPG genre, but. The exploration, you know, the maps, all the classic Disney and Final Fantasy worlds, characters and items, you can still go out and, you know, I tried to get, you know, the best weapons on the second one and you just kept going through section after section of enemies just trying to get that one item to forge, you know, the the better weapon. So, you know, it's it's definitely something that anyone can enjoy in a, you know, sort of, you know, a, without saying dumbed down, you know, on a, on a you know, simple, more simple scale. But obviously for people who want to go out there and, see the best it's got to offer it's it's got both you know both scopes really i'm kind of at the school of thought that you don't want a handheld game that is too deep anyway i mean how much you know how much are you going to be able to lose yourself in it if it's handheld you know um yeah i agree but it's it's not as extensive as the the con the you know the ps2 games but it's it's got just got enough. I mean, the world it hasn't got as many worlds as the original two. I think there's only about five or six games, but there's a couple of the original ones there. Um, I think it. I think it lasts, you know, around you know, twelve, fifteen hours. So I mean, it's. I mean, it's obviously got the the length to, to out you know outstay many, you know, console games. But I think it's got that, just that little bit the way you can you can put it down and come back to it. And I mean, the stories. I'll admit. The Kingdom Hearts story, even for big fans of the series like me, it's not the easiest to to follow on from. But if you know, even if it is, this is your first Kingdom Hearts title. I think it's enough to put it down, pick it up, and just and just play it and enjoy it because at the end of the day, it's still a really good game. It's even without knowing the story, you can still enjoy it. Mark, I'm sure you've been with the series since uh, day one. How does this one stand up, and is it is it a credit to the series? You know what? I've I've been I've kind of dipped in and out of the series. Um, I'm I'm very much I, I like atmosphere in games I like you know narratives and I, I've always found Kingdom Hearts as it, the crossover between you know RPG and the Disney universe just it, it's it's enchanting it's 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 absolutely inspired it's the kind of thing that just I can remember when I first saw it in a in a magazine and just thought that is 
mad that's going to be a, a kids game why would i want to play that but it's it's proper action rpg stuff and it, it's this one it, it stands along alongside the better entries in the series you know i mean uh probably kingdom hearts 2 is is the high point most people um would cite but it, it's still very much a handheld game. I mean, it's never going to be quite as expansive. It's never going to be quite as deep. It's never going to have that quite that same atmosphere. And I think one of the reasons that is, is that, you know, when you're playing something on the big screen, the Disney universe kind of lends itself to those big moments when they can make things seem cinematic and, and kind of entrancing and the like. And, and they can kind of draw inspiration from all of these great characters whereas on the small screen I don't think they can quite go for that same wow factor so instead it has to have kind of more of just these little subtle charming characterizations that you know it's it's great fun and it's sadly one of the few must-have 3ds titles at the moment that, that was my next question for you I mean is it a game where you'd say if you have a 3ds this is one you must have in your collection I'd say if you if you like action RPGs, then uh, I, I would say you absolutely have to have it. I mean, if you're you're if you like action RPGs, then frankly, you've got three great ones on the 3DS in in Zelda in, in the 3D version of that Ocarina of Time in Kid Icarus Uprising, and now in Kingdom Hearts. I mean, you're pretty much in your element there. You'll be lucky on any console to get three great action RPGs in the space of a year. So. Yeah, I, I definitely say it's it's a must-have title. So, Mark, the uh, the reviews up on the site now. Yes, indeed, it is. Uh, Steve, you've been uh, reviewing a rather special title this month. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, um, this month, uh, well, last month, I had the uh, the pleasure of reviewing the Tour de France 2012 game. Um, you know, it's it's the second game that's released on the console based around the Tour de France series. Um, I had a little dabble of the last year's one, and I must say that it seems to have taken a bit of a step backwards this year. Do you know? I've got to say, like as as a genre, as a concept, as someone who's never even played these games, I cannot imagine in my wildest dreams how this would ever be interesting. And I know a lot of people are interested in cycling, and it's an exciting sport, um, and certainly, you know, one where the the, the the actual athletes are in tip-top condition and the top of their game, but how does it? How could it ever make a fun video game? It could, if you know, if you were, didn't know. I mean, if you didn't know what was the difference between you know the sort of the best games around, and if you were just if you just had an Xbox and you were a fan of the series, you probably could enjoy it for a lot more. For it is, I mean, you can you know cycle. You can't cycle the whole race, obviously, because that just be absolutely ridiculous. But I have this vision in my head of a really, really long version of Paperboy. <laughs> well, I was imagining a really long version of, of one of the races from like International Track and Field. Chatting, just uh, just tapping the button. Or... <laughs> well, all you literally do is hold X, and that's all you do. If you boil it down to the simplest you know, form, you hold X to start, you, you set off at a speed. If you're going uphill, you lower it. If you're going downhill, you... You, you know, you change to the, the higher gear and have a higher speed, and you just hold X. The occasional corner makes you press square to slow down and turn. Um, you can, there, there is, you know, tactics in there. You can get your other riders to, you know, block you from the wind, and you can take on board, you know, your nutrition. You can have a banana and you, you carve gels. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's for someone who, like, enjoys the series, they probably would enjoy it, but, the, I mean, there's the cycling uh, simulator on the PC, 
and, and my brother's got that and he's he played them both and he and I, I watched them both and the, the the manager on the PC is a lot better than this you know it's, even the graphics are a lot better the all the people in this one look the same the bodies are the same the crowds are the same the trees are the same you know it's just it's like the you know the, the cartoons where the the environments just cycle over and over again you know in the background it's it's just well, it's where it's where the background starts to move, and you realise that your character's just stationary in the middle. That's yeah. kind of when you know you need to worry. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's you know, it's the, all the characters' names out there, but you know they haven't lent the names to the license. But the the voiceover, you know, from the coaches hasn't been changed from last year. So even the the cyclist names still get shouted out by the you know the coach in the background, even though the written name on the screen's different. So, you know, it's things like that when you realise that not a lot of thought's been put into it, really. So it's... it's I'd, I've got a bike. I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you guys a question now. As reviewers, I'm not a reviewer, as uh, you probably all know by now, but uh, as, as reviewers, you must get your fair share of steaming turds to play. And, I mean, how do you see it through and how do you construct... A review out of that because for me if it was me playing and i thought it was terrible i'd just turn it off and never play it again i just wouldn't waste my time with it you, you oh. take the good with the bad <laughs> <laughs> writing a writing a review about a rubbish game to tell them yeah no I, I, in, in a strange way i actually kind of enjoy playing some of the badder games because it, it's it's easier to deconstruct you know yeah. if you see a bad game it's really easy to see exactly where something's gone wrong exactly you know broken shooting mechanics or, or you know, physics. And maybe it even helps you identify what's right in other games that you maybe have taken for granted. Yeah, that's absolutely absolutely right. But, I mean, I think reviewing a game that's got something right but just doesn't quite hit, you know, the heights is probably the hardest simply because how do you get that across? How do you find exactly what it is that hasn't gone perfectly? Whatever that hidden X factor is that makes an absolute classic sometimes that's that's just really hard to try and get your head around whereas the you know the poor games that you know it's really easy to identify what's gone wrong with them and you know there's presumably hundreds thousands maybe tens of thousands of people that work in the video games industry that spend their lives working on utter turkeys you know and they'll never get the chance to work on the big titles but they're still happily earning a living out of them we shouldn't begrudge them that but you know Surely these people know that they're making bad games. I mean, they they must know what what makes a good game, what makes a bad. They can't just go in and not play any other game out there. They must know what's good, what's bad. They must you know dissect the good ones, try and imitate and mimic it. But like you say, I just I know I know people have to make the game, but surely even on the tightest of budgets, you can make it better than you know some of the stuff that we see coming out. You know, it just seems so odd to me. It seems so niche that surely only a handful of people are going to buy it anyway. So what, what, what sense is there in making it absolutely terrible exactly. so that, you know, those people that never come back again anyway? I, you know, I'm, I'm sure the sport's very popular and, well, I know the sport's very popular and, you know, it's obviously popular enough to shift enough units to this game. But then yeah. they also, sorry, but that isn't the same company behind the, the more kind of management sim type PC title, isn't it the same studio, Steve? Yeah, yeah, they do the PC game as well. So it so, just seems like they've they've spent most of the money on the PC game and just kind of. I suppose if you've got the license, then you you kind of, you know, it's up to you how you uh, 
divvy up your resources. Yeah. But going out on a bike's still a lot more enjoyable. And what's with, you know, that, that, those crazy dudes, those crazy spectators that leap in the way of uh, of riders or, like, pat, pat you on the back. I know that's all part of the sport, I mean, but... Man, can you imagine if one of those took you out in the race? You'd be absolutely livid. Does that happen in the game? Are there mental spectators that try and um, uh, pat you on the back or congratulate you? Or? There's one stand that disappear and reappear and then appear and disappear again. But there's you know the same guy over and over again in his same clothes and shouting the same chants. But there's no. You can't even fall off your bike. I forgot. Even, you can't even fall off. <laughs> well, so what happens if you just take your finger off x you just stop and then if you like hit a corner you just hit it stop and then it just sets you back off again it just you know it puts you back on your way so you can't even fall off your bike so because you have to test these things when you're reviewing it's like a racing game you have to crash and see what see what happens of course uh, easy achievements i mean there must be something in there for, for people to get out of this game there are trophies yeah but you know it's I mean, I've played some utter stinkers in my life just to get trophies and achievements, and and thankfully I'm I'm over that now. And I would never knock anyone for doing that because you know it's it's there's there's some fun to be had. But man, some of the games I played, I would actually <laughs> I would actually go and personally meet the whoever can platinum this this game. Honestly, you have you'd have to play the entire tour and come first. I mean, every time that I played it, I lost. I mean, I don't know if that's just because I don't know Tour de France, but it's not like you can go off. Can you can you go off on the wrong route or? No, no, you can't do any of that. No, no. Anyone who can platinum this game, I actually, you know, I will come and see you, pat you on the back, and congratulate you. The the, the worst I ever played was um, My Pony and Me Two, I think it was. <laughs> oh dear. And, uh, I, I, you know, I got quite a bit of stick from it uh, on the forums from from the other the other members, and quite rightly so. But I, I remember playing it and thinking, it's actually there's something quite chilled about it. I quite, enjoy, I quite enjoyed it, and at the time, I, there's been there'd been a few Americans that I'd met playing Call of Duty, and they, they were on um, they were on my friends' list. I'm <laughs> you playing my pony? <laughs> I, I, I remember getting a, a message from from one particular uh, friend from America, just saying, "What the f- are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and I think I just told him my my kid was playing it or something. <laughs> So moving from the Tour of France, we move on to the Olympics. The whole country's in Olympic fever right now, quite rightly so. The Team GB have been doing amazingly well, and I'm sure that the whole nation like us is incredibly proud. Gents, I caught a uh, article this, this month on CNN. I forwarded it on to, to both you guys, talking about pro gamers and could they ever be considered athletes? Now, considering all that we've seen this month with with the amazing Olympics here on home soil, uh, how do you feel about that? Is that is that a bit a, a disrespectful thing to say to to those men and women that have been winning golds and silvers and bronzes for for our great nation? It's absolute rubbish. I mean, I, I love sport and I love games as well, but you know, going to the you know length saying that gamers could be athletes, you know, I think it's a bit you know like you say, a bit offensive to those people who go out there, train every day for five hours a day, six days a week. You know, I think it's a bit extreme. It's like calling darts players, you know, sports players. You know, it's they are, but they're not at the same time. It's At the end of the day, the Olympics is the Olympics and sports sport and gaming's gaming. It's something that just needs to be kept separate. But isn't that, I mean, you've just raised the issue, the perennial issue of what is a sport and what is a game. And technically... 
you know, video games, they are games. I mean, where do you draw the line? I mean, if you take into account what people have to do, if if you're making a little checklist, I I originally thought this, yeah, it mad the idea of gaming in the Olympics, and I, uh, you know, it it is still, you know, properly a bit nuts. But if you actually look at, I mean, I was reading that article, Steve, and it, it was really interesting. If you look at the things that some of these people do, they are training, you know, literally all the time, all the hours God gives. And we're not talking just playing games, you know, some of them are focusing on their fitness, they're eating well, they're lifting weights, quite what the uh, contribution to their their good playing is from that, I don't know. But, uh, you know, the idea is that they are trying to live this lifestyle where they are focused. Exactly. And skill, coordination, dedication, reactions. I mean, if you actually think about it, I mean, I've had many an argument with someone over what is a sport and I, I continually say that you know I wouldn't define snooker or darts or golf as a sport simply because you're not time. it's a pastime they're games you don't break a sweat that's fine but you know you watch say um, some of the target shooting in 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 the in the Olympics in various you know athletics games and that the like target shooting shooting basically you're you're sedentary when you're doing so now, okay, fine, someone might get, you know, some kind of a medal for that, but if you put a light gun in their hand and they, it was duck hunt, they'd be laughed at. It's a really great point, a really great point. I mean, like, how many steps away from that are you to you, a virtual yeah, you're, situation? Yeah, you pull, you're pulling a trigger, you know. You're, at, you're aiming, you're pulling a trigger. Yeah, they used to have the one of those, do you ever see, like, the old golf simulators where you used to hit the ball at the at the screen and then it would measure how far it went. I think they had um, Stephen Hendry doing that on the old Games Master series. And, you know, it, it's... I mean, we sports, if it, if you're saying, well, you've got to, you know, build up a sweat or something, you know, ultimately, if you're saying that you've got to be the best in the world at something, where are you drawing the line between what's considered athletic, you know, is, is something where you're sitting there target shooting, is that athletic enough to be in that? athletics event you know and uh, of course you know south korea is kind of where this story came out of and it's based on the fact that competitive gaming out there is huge absolutely massive and for a while i was quite into the whole you know watching of uh, starcraft and competitive games and, and stuff like that but that, that was something i quickly got over the novelty soon we're out but over there it's huge and you've got you know pro gamers earning big big salaries and getting all kinds of sponsorship deals i mean there is already the interest behind that there's already the money behind that you know surely it's only a matter of time before that grows and grows and grows to a point where the interest is there where maybe not it ever becomes part of something like the olympics but it has an event of that ilk of that maybe not scale but of that ambition yeah i mean the the key ultimately is going to be recognition that's how you get you know any event off the ground i mean i've been pretty much glued to the olympics i've absolutely loved it but there have been some things like you know i've been watching the handball and i'll be honest i don't know anyone who's ever played handball i you know i can't imagine there's there's that much competition to get towards any kind of you know regional squad or something you know ultimately how big does something have to be before it is recognized as you know, as an event, 
Um, I don't think, I mean, obviously, it's, it is it is mad to think that someone sat there, you know, at a keyboard and mouse or with a little you know, joypad in their hand is going to get in something like the Olympics, something as illustrious as that. It's not ultimately athletic. But it it is certainly, you know, you're talking about part of an industry that sells, you know, that's worth billions every year that people are interested in that and why wouldn't and why wouldn't you champion those people that are at the pinnacle of that industry yeah exactly i mean you will see you know you see film directors on the cover of magazines how how likely are you to see shigeru miyamoto on the cover of time on you know on in variety or something you you're not going to see it ultimately there's this kind of ignored little subculture that's i mean we don't even have a, a big kind of TV show on on you know terrestrial channels or anything, you know. Ultimately, you know, things like these World Cyber Games, I think, was mentioned in that article, and you see the sponsorship and earnings and, and the all this kind of trappings that go along with it, and and you think, well, it's it's not really that mad to think that at some point this could be an accepted, you know, maybe not a sport, call it a game, call it whatever, but it, you know, it could draw crowds. Well, that, that article um, mentions the word addiction a lot. And, you know, that seems to be something that often goes hand in hand with uh, pro gamers and in, in a negative context as well. But isn't part of being the best at something, being obsessed and being addicted to it and eating, living, sleeping, breathing that very thing 24-7? If, if you think about sports people, you know, it's it might be it might sound silly it says but they're addicted to getting the buzz and the adrenaline from competing, going out you know the professionals they want to get the buzz from going out to the home crowd going out and listening to you know people chanting scoring playing you know that's that's kind of what they're addicted to and what they want so I mean you could say gaming is an addiction in the sense that like you say if you're the best you know in the world at what certain game you're addicted to it because you're you know, you're getting heralded as the best, and you could say that, but I think, you know, it's it's one of them things that's just going to be, you know, just going to have a lot of sort of, you know, speculation around it, because, you know, on, I mean, today, there were, you know, there's a kid that's gone into hospital in America who played a game for four days straight. I mean, that's his own fault, but for as long as games keep getting, you know, media attention like that, then I think well, it's... T- t- tell us more about that, because wasn't there a, a, another kid that died from playing... 24 hours straight or 48 hours yeah. straight in, in Korea. Yeah, in Japan. Well, not necessarily he didn't die because he'd been playing uh, for that amount of time, but, you know, for one reason or another, being sat in a certain position, you know, maybe there was a uh, a blood clot or whatever, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very sad story, but th- these things do happen. I mean, I, com- I mean, I you know, commented about it. I compared it to, you know, to like air tra- commercial air travel. If he was on a plane, he'd have been sat for the sa- in the same position for the same length of time you know, on a plane, but if someone died on, on as a result of that, you they wouldn't, you know, say air travel's caused his death, you know, air travel won't get negativity. I mean, this lad, he played Modern Warfare 3 for, you know, three days and four nights straight, I think, and he went to hospital because he was dehydrated, you know. Should have, taken, should have taken him to the mental home, shouldn't they? Well, exactly. I mean, the parents themselves should hold responsibility, and he himself, he was 14 or 15. By that age, he can look after himself. So he should have, you know, he should have known himself to not play for that long and it's dehydration yeah, yeah. that's causes well hot. yes and no i tell you what if my son was 14 i'd still be taking an interest in, in what he's doing i wouldn't be exactly. saying you know you can do whatever you want well i'm not i'm not saying you could let him do it but he should have the common sense at that age to know what you know that he needs to feed and water himself you know i mean 
you know, like you say, if if my kid played games, you know, they'd have an hour and an hour and a half, and then that'd be it. You know, I won't just let him sit in his bedroom for you know three full days and not go in and have a look what he's doing. But it's at the end of the day, it was dehydration that made him go to hospital. I mean, if he was doing anything for that length of time and not eating or drinking, and not drinking exactly, it'd course. be the same outcome. So you know, it's. It's one of them things that just because games are, you know, they're still fairly new, you know, they're still in the, you know, people, because we're, you know, the population's getting older, they're still not accepting what's happening. I mean, to them, games are still unknown, aren't they there? So, and, you know, as we go on in another 10, 15 years, like you say, these things might happen where there's, you know, gaming. Have you, have you guys ever watched competitive gaming of any any type? I've seen, you know, clips on YouTube, I mean, you know, and been involved with, you know, like sort of, I mean, you label it as grassroots, you know, competition, you know, in clans and things, but I've never been involved in pro gaming as such or Something like game. StarCraft 2 is, is, is very watchable because, you you know, it is a match. You've got two guys playing directly against each other. It's very, um, you know, it's full of strategy and tactics. And if you've got someone commentating that, can kind of break it down for you as 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 the game plays. It it does become very interesting. It's no different to watching any kind of um, you know TV coverage of uh, you know whatever sport it may be or competition that it may be. You know there, there there is something there, and and that's the only example I've ever seen where it's really worked well. I don't think I'd ever want to watch Call of Duty. But, you know, I might watch a, f- a world final, for example, between two players, or I might watch say you know the quarters, the semis, and the final. The only sort of thing you'd say is if it got as big as, you know, the Expo, Z3 and, you know, Eurogamer Expo and things like that. But One of the, the barriers for competitive gaming is that most of the, it seems like most of the footage is taken from the traditional gamer's view. I, it, it's the view that you see all the time. So it's, it's not like, you know, if you're watching, you know, say a first person shooter, clan match or something like that, that you will suddenly just pull out a camera out so you can see everything that's going on as if it was like a football match or something. Very bu- good point. You're yeah, by it's and really large, good point you're making. Yeah, you're by and large just watching it as if you were playing. So you're just watching someone better than you doing something from like your your perspective as if you were playing the game, which doesn't really add any great drama for their to You're exactly right. You know, to, to, to ape TV, if you like, to mimic TV, you, you have to have multiple angles. You have yeah. to have action replays and not just, you know, um, the same the same shot again slowed down. That's the beauty of the, the StarCraft coverage is that you're in a specific spectator mode and the, the commentator, normally it's the commentator, he will be in control of where that action focuses and he can jump from one competitor to the other. And of course, neither competitor has that view. You know, as far as they're concerned, they're only focused on what they're doing with their um, their resources. But whereas you can kind of see people going in into traps and you can see people making mistakes and you can see people having triumphant moments yet they don't even know that they've done it yet and that's and that's why it works i think yeah i mean like mark's saying you know the the sort of you know it's there what we can do i mean like if we go back to the smart glass idea you know have the ipads on the, the new microsoft surface tablet when it comes out if you think if you were watching something and you were connected to the internet you were like fed into that game or match on your you know tablet or you know pc or whatever and you could just flip camera angles and like you say just go through you know stats as it were you know different individual players and you know then it's the sort of the scales there isn't it the 
already it's just a case of can you imagine earning six figures and playing video games God, I could it's... yeah I mean your eyes might be suffering what, what, what would you what would be your competitive game I, I don't think you could play Kingdom of Hearts maybe yeah uh, Tour, Tour de, de France, France yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be easy I'd be the only one so there, there we go I, I could come last every time and still get paid for it super glue your thumb to X yeah exactly Mark, how about yourself? Can you ever see yourself uh, playing competitively on any level? I just think I, I think I'd I'd lose any interest in video games whatsoever. You know, I I think when you're a kid, you think about say like play testing, and you think that sounds the greatest thing in the world. That you know you get to play these games before they come out, and someone pays you just to sit there playing video games all day. And then you just think, you know, you just doing something that you love until you'll probably end up getting sick of it just yeah i've done that actually i've done that and it was like the worst week of work of my life it was horrible it's Absolutely like horrible it's like when you get you get something uh, i don't know food like a packet of chocolate biscuits and you just think this is great i'm really enjoying these i'm gonna have another one like with pringles you hit that point where you just think i feel sick <laughs> Well, that's only if your your starting point is something decent. When I was doing it, I think I was playing the club. I don't know if you remember that. And oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Was trying to break break that game, and uh, there was something else. But only just they weren't they weren't good games, and they weren't games that I were in, was into. And you've got to log bugs in certain ways, and you know, there's it, 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 it was it's office work. You know, ultimately, it's office work. You are, of course sat playing games but in the loosest possible way you're trying to break something and inform um the the programmers on on what you were doing and how you did it and why you think it happened yeah and ultimately i mean if it's a game that you don't like you're going to complain that you know you've had to do that you've had to play this game that's an absolute chore for you know x hours a day and so you hate it because of that but imagine if it's a game that you actually would really like to play like some kind of narrative game or something if you've you know been given the chance to play the next half-life and you know all you're tasked with doing is you know repeatedly headbutting the same wall for half an hour just to see if you can break through or something see what the clipping's like you know that would be even more soul destroying you just hate it wouldn't you You just want you want to play it when it came out it's yeah, and that's why I I do think these you know the professional uh, gamers, it, it is a level of dedication. It is um, you know, it does sound on the face of it very much like addiction, and some of them don't sound, should we say, the most um, balanced individuals. Uh, but you know, it it is a tremendous amount of dedication to become the the best at anything. Yeah, of course, and you you make a good point as well about the kind of characters that that are you know playing for maybe 15 16 you know maybe beyond several hours a day far more than they should be you know it's not it, sh- it shouldn't take over your life like that it's not healthy especially not when you're a, a you know a young adult you should be out and meeting people and socializing and getting life experience playing football in the park exactly. get out in the sunshine that brings us to the end of this month's podcast uh, massive thanks to you all for joining us and coming back as you do every month we really appreciate your your interest and you know feel free to add a comment on the uh, on the forum so we can um give you a shout out or uh, hear your feedback mark thanks so much for uh, joining us as always all right cheers steve steve 
Uh, we'll catch you next month as well, hopefully. Yep, it's been a pleasure. And we'll see you all next month. All content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Forums podcast is copyright M2N Limited.